You're listening to The Conservative Conscience. In Washington, politicians are full of half-truths and hot air. The Conservative Conscience is here to help you cut through the rhetoric and noise and explore the politically right way to think about the issues. You'll dive into one of the most insightful conservative minds in America. Conservative Review's senior editor, Daniel Horowitz. And along with co-host Joe Koss, they break down the major issues in Washington. You are now entering The Conservative Conscience. And welcome back to The Conservative Conscience. This is your host, Daniel Horowitz. It's November 29th here, late Tuesday. Boy, this week started off with a with a flash. I'm telling you, I thought I'd ease back into the work week, uh, at least more gradually. I really enjoyed my family time. I hope you guys did as well. Um, but there, there's no rest for the worry in this business. So much swirling around. And I know... Last couple of times we've talked together in our little town hall here about long term, what I call rainy day reforms. You know, why we need to, in the long run, fix the judiciary, fix federalism, return power to the states, convene a convention of the states. And then eventually, you know, we don't have the power now or the will now, but we do need a new party. And I still believe that. We're seeing that on a daily basis. You could read some of our articles at Conservative Review, the crazy stuff that Congress is doing. Uh, the Republican Congress in a lame duck session passing a massive new health care spending bill. Um, the committee chairs in the Senate are horrible. They're worse than ever. Uh, Orrin Hatch, a guy we thought we'd finally get rid of, now says he's going to renege on his promise and run for re-election or likely to run for re-election in 2018. The party has not changed one iota. They have not gained any inspiration. You know, they have they have not been inspired or impressed by the election results. Uh, putting your feelings for Trump aside, but just what the people at least perceived what they were voting for. No, it's business as usual. And before I before I get to what I wanted to discuss today, which is really the here and now. The things that we must take care of at a federal level here and now, there's no way to shortcut that, and that is repealing Obamacare and the refugee resettlement. Two things that can be done, must be done, is a mandate to do, Trump has a mandate to do, different things we we could do with that. But just more in general, we do need a new party. These guys have not changed one bit. Uh, just real briefly, I know some of you have been <clears throat> DMing me on Twitter and asking what my thoughts are on uh, the cabinet appointments. Obviously, there's so much going on that I think we'll find out a lot more in a week or two to give a more broad judgment, and I don't want to prejudge the results. There's a lot of rumors out there. Some of them have proven to be false. But unfortunately, what I'm what I'm seeing in general is for all the talk of Trump being this new, refreshing, amazing, populist voice, there's nothing populist or refreshing, not that populism devoid of conservatism and the Constitution is good, but but even without that, there's no anything. It's just the same old establishment K Street stuff. I mean, Jeff Sessions as attorney general is a real coup, and I think when it comes to the law, the rule of law, immigration, I think we have a lot of opportunity if we play our cards right to get things done. But as it relates to limited government and fiscal issues, it's a terrible pattern. It's a growing pattern. I mean, Elaine Chow, McConnell's wife, as Secretary of Transportation? Are you kidding me? Uh, what that tells me is that 
not only will Trump push massive infrastructure spending, something that should be done at a state level, more efficient at a state level. I'm going to link to an article in the show notes uh, I, I wrote two years back, all the advantages and the imperative to devolve transportation to the states. But, you know, he wants to expand the federal role. This tells you that not only is he going to push it, but the Senate is not going to push back. You know, Lane Chow is Mitch McConnell's wife. That tells you he's going to ratify whatever he wants. There's going to be no resistance. This is a very big problem. Um, you know, you, you look at the potential. It hasn't been announced yet, but this guy, Ross, um, for, for commerce. Your, your typical bailout, big government, crony capitalist. I mean, the guy's a Democrat or has been a Democrat donor most of his life. So it looks like he's going to pick a Democrat for Secretary of Commerce if nothing changes. You, you got HHS, Secretary of Health and Human Services, Representative Tom Price. Look, he could have done worse. Definitely could have done worse, but could have done a lot better. I think Bobby Jindal would have been a lot better. Tom Price is a guy who acts conservative, but when it boils down to it, he was a banger loyalist and he's an institutionalist. He's become an institutionalist. And that's the thing. All these picks, there's nothing out of the box. They're institutionalists. And, and by the way, a lot of this is coming from Mike Pence, so you know. I mean, the Tom Price connection is prima facie. That's pretty obvious. He has been a friend of his since Pence was in the House. Um, a lot of these people, they're coming from Pence. Even some of the foreign policy stuff I'm hearing is a little, little bit more concerning than I initially thought. A lot of these you know, typical interventionist, neoconservative way of thinking. And I don't mean to talk like a Rand Paul guy. You know what I, you know where I stand on this. There's a third way that's a balance between them that actually puts America first, uh, to paraphrase Donald Trump's aphorism, which I agree with in broad terms, although I think sometimes he himself deviates from it with some of his views on foreign policy. But looking in totality, this is very concerning. The Senate Republicans are worse than ever. The House Republicans are worse than ever. Every leadership guy was reelected. And now the cabinet posts are going to your typical guys. And I would note where I think will we'll, we'll really determine the direction of this administration is the non-top echelon political appointees, meaning the people that don't need Senate confirmation, the SES folks, the you know senior executive staff that are either the assist, assistant um, undersecretaries, the deputy undersecretaries, depending on the department, their names, um, the Schedule C people below them, kind of the top um, managers in a given agency. You know, these guys are unnamed. They're, the federal government publishes a, a plum book, they call it the plum book, where you could look these names up, but they're they're all political appointees that, you know, there's there's several thousand of these people, I believe, and I could tell you they're not these populist guys with pitchforks. They're all the same people. The Bush Romney people looking like flies on you know what to get back in power. Um, and, you know, Mike Pence has been facil facilitating a lot of that. So we're kind of sandwiched in between a lot of different problems. We have the typical rhino problem in the Senate. We have the Trump, Steve Bannon kind of populism, which in some ways overlaps with some of our views on national security, immigration, rule of law, maybe for differing reasons, uh, depending on the issue. Um, but then, you know, there's some major problems. Populism is, is <laughs> that's not the way to go. We're not about a French revolution. 
It might be a means, a tool to harness popular outrage against the elites um, in order to pursue constitutional conservative governance. But if you're devoid of constitutional conservatism, you wind up actually promoting the very same elites. (laughs) I'll note, you know, ironically with Steve Bannon, he talks about his uh, idol being Andrew Jackson as the consummate populist. The irony is Andrew Jackson, look, I'm no defender of his on a personal level, and he was kind of a dirtbag, but he was a states' rights guy. He was against federal infrastructure spending, big banks. Um, It was his opponents who were for that stuff. And that was at a time when there was a more legitimate case to be made that the federal government should be more involved in transportation. You had to build up a nation. You had to build up the frontiers. Now we have 50 well-developed states that could handle this stuff. But, But I digress. Um, you know, you come full circle when you push populism and you actually wind up promoting the elites. You promote the same bailout big government mentality. So we're sandwiched between the populace, the Senate rhinos, and the Mike Pence institutionalism that he's bringing with him. So again, aside from Jeff Sessions, which let's face it, he, you know, that was all because he owed him. He, he had to give Jeff Sessions that appointment. And for better, for worse, Trump is very loyal and everything's a quid pro quo. In this case, it worked out to our benefit, but in many other cases, it will work to our detriment. So this is all to say that we got major problems and we need to look at long-term reforms. And that's why I'm going to continue banging away at the Convention of the States, federalism reforms, fighting back in the states, um, and judicial reform, which I'm, I'm going to be giving a speech on Capitol Hill uh, tomorrow, maybe on the same day by the time you guys hear this podcast. So I'll be kind of out a little bit and busy with that. But nonetheless, we have a lot of good writings for you to check out. Check out CRTV. Um, you won't want to miss it. We got Mark Stein and uh, Michelle Malkin. This this is, we are just, we are less than, Oh, we are a week away, by the way, a week away. So you want to sign up at CRTV, get your subscription for, for about 80 bucks a, a, a year. You could hear four amazing TV shows with no, no, absolutely no advertisements. I, I can't stay in advertisements. I would much rather pay a, a fee at the beginning. I don't know about you guys, but I think it's a great deal. And also patronize our sponsors here patriot mobile go to patriotmobile.com switch your wireless carrier to patriot mobile they'll give up to five percent of your um, monthly fee to a conservative organization of your choice don't allow your money to go to fund liberal causes as the other carriers do indeed fund and they have great customer service let me know what you think um, but i love their customer service issue promo code daniel to waive the activation fee and we are here we are guys this is what we got to do. I'm all, I'm always about an all of the above approach. Fight back in the culture, in the business world, in the states, all three branches of government, um, and long-term reforms. This is the best we can do. But in the meantime, there are two issues that we need to go to war about. Two issues that will not be able to. I mean, we're not going to be able to fix them even with an Article Five convention. We don't, you know, have enough time anyway. This is an imminent problem. But those are refugee resettlement and Obamacare. Let's start off with refugee resettlement. Here we go again. Here we go with another Islamic refugee that we brought in through the front door in 2014. This Somali refugee and his family, they evidently have six kids. I lo- I'd love to know where the other siblings stand on the on on, uh, on jihad. 
Have, have, have the, has the FBI checked them out? Who knows? But plows through a crowd in Ohio State University on Monday. Um, thank God hasn't you know nobody has has been killed or no f- fatalities as of yet. And uh, hacked some people, stabbed them, and attempted to run them over. And this is what we, we, we this is this has become a new normal. Pretty much every week, someone's either arrested, attempted to commit a terror attack or actually commits a terror attack. And almost always, not almost always, always, they are either an immigrant themselves or children of immigrants that we brought in fairly recently that we should not have brought in. Now, you know, I remember as a kid, I never saw Muslims in the street. I just I just didn't. They, they were pretty rare. And I'm talking about growing up in the early 90s. Um, you know, I remember hearing about the first World Trade Center attack and being scared, but you never actually thought it was real. You saw pictures of the Middle East and you saw the news reports from Israel and the suicide bombings and the bus bombings. And you know, I thought to myself, man, I, I'm glad I live in America. We don't have that here. But alas, over the last 20 or so years, we brought this to our shores. We've brought the problem to our shores in, in the form of immigration from the Middle East to the tune of several million. And that pace has accelerated, as those of you who have followed my writings on this issue over the past two years would know, um, it is the fastest growing subset of immigration. We're bringing in record numbers of Muslim immigrants, probably roughly 160,000 a year. Um, you know, over a course of five years, that gives you more Muslims than are in the country of Belgium. And Belgium is is destroyed. Obviously, we're a bigger country per capita. It's, you know, a smaller percentage, but still, it doesn't. It, it's a numbers game. It doesn't take too many to wreak havoc. And there are many. And there are many of them who subscribe to Sharia law, about half of them. And th- this is the problem. Everyone is missing the point. Even conservatives, I hear them talking about vetting. You see, we didn't properly vet. Guys, there's nothing to vet. You can't vet a mentality. The problem is Muslim immigration. Our founders, as I note in my book, Stolen Sovereignty, Chapter 6, check it out, uh, what our founders and early political leaders thought about immigration, they never imagined bringing in people like this. They were concerned about Europeans, people of similar ancestry that were used to kind of big government monarchs um, that wouldn't appreciate our Republican values. The notion that you would bring in people that subscribe to a totalitarian mindset that's antithetical to our values, our constitutional values, our religious values, uh, our democratic values, at a time when Islam is going through the greatest period of, of upheaval, especially with the modern advent of the internet and cyber jihad, it's insane that this wouldn't be shut off immediately. And there's a, there's a lot of focus on the Syrian refugees, but it's, it's, there's nothing worse about Syria than any other country. It's not about vetting. It's any, any of these countries. We've had a bigger problem from Somalia than from Syria. Somalia is the worst. I mean, the community in Minneapolis and, and Columbus, by the way, is close behind it. I believe 45,000 Somalis live in the area, um, almost as many as in the Minneapolis area. So that's the number two refugee resettlement location for Somali nationals. And, you know, this is not just a vetting problem. You are bringing in that mindset to your country. Right? Picture all these people. This, this kid, when he was brought in a couple of years ago, what was he, 15 years old or so? Um, you know, that last uh, bomber, the uh, guy who lived in Elizabeth, uh, New Jersey, 
I, I forgive me, I forget the names. Muhammad Yabadabadu, they all sound similar. Um, this guy, the one that set set off a couple of bombs, attempted bombs, the one in Chelsea, Manhattan. He was, I believe, about seven years old when he was brought from Afghanistan with his family, um, came here also on asylum. Uh, the Chattanooga shooter was two years old, and some of them were, were born here. They weren't yet born when the families came in. There's nothing to vet. It's not about ISIS. I'm sick of hearing about ISIS. ISIS was created three years ago. We've had this problem since the 90s, at least to a large part, you know, it, it it existed it existed before then but we didn't have much immigration to this country from the middle east before then the problem is when you bring in that mindset and you bring it in large numbers and they cluster together in communities it's not about the few guys that you happen to catch trying to join isis or commit a terror attack the question more broadly is who are their friends neighbors family members mosque religious leaders that are cultivating this climate not all of them are bad, not all of them are doing, but a heck of a lot of them are. It doesn't occur in a vacuum. So this is not something you could vet. You know, these families come in, they look downtrodden, they have two, three-year-old kids, and, you know, the Chattanooga shooter, or this guy, when he came in, I'm sure he looked like a cute little kid. But the reality is they grew up to be mass murderers because... Their parents did adhere to Sharia law. Now, usually, experience has shown us the last couple of generations in Europe and now in America that the immigrants themselves are tend to be pretty busy, especially as they get older, just settling into the country. Um, so so they, don't, they don't downright engage in jihad, but they sympathize with it. But their kids that they raise under strict adherence to Sharia, they go and uh, commit terror attacks. So it, it's, it's, it's nothing you could go and vet retroactively. You can't vet it at the time. It's got to be shut off. Fortunately, garbage in, garbage out. As I noted in my piece, it, it, uh, made, uh, it was circulated widely last week that this is something Trump could do with the stroke of a pen. Literally, the stroke of a pen. He could do it without congressional um, approval he could shut off, he could really shut off all immigration from the Middle East, but at the very least, to shut off refugee resettlement from places like Syria, Somalia, you know, Afghanistan, Pakistan, Iraq, the places where we've been having problems, that needs to be shut off. This was his mandate. He ran on it. He promised it. Why isn't he talking about this? Why is he talking about flag burning? Why is he talking about stupidity on Twitter? I mean, tell me if I'm wrong, but I have not heard from him. He should be owning this issue. He should be saying, see, this is exactly what I meant when we bring in refugees from the Middle East. But he's awfully silent. But this is something he can do. Section 212F of the Immigration Nationality Act states as follows. Whenever the president finds that the entry of any aliens or any class of aliens into the U.S. would be detrimental to the interests of the United States, he may, by proclamation and for such period as... He shall deem necessary suspend the entry of all aliens or any class of aliens as immigrants or non-immigrants or impose on the entry of aliens any restrictions he may deem be appropriate. End quote. So, by the way, this power is universal, enforceable at the will of the president, applies at any time for any circumstance. It's plenary power of the president. Um, and, and our immigration laws were designed this way on purpose. 
unlike Obama's usurpation, the statutes granted broad discretion to the executive to ratchet down immigration at, at as needed, not to ratchet it up, as Obama's been doing. And it's because, you know, the sovereignty of a nation needs to be kept at arm's length of the people. The people through their elected representatives. Now, the elected representatives need to delegate authority, obviously, um, because you have things that come up exactly for the times we're talking about. We're in a time of war. We, we, we are living through the most dangerous, ubiquitous cyber jihad ever, where it could just pop up anywhere where large clusters of Sharia adherent Muslims live. And now they live amongst us. So this must be dealt with. And again, I've, I've you know, to those of you who are not new to the conservative conscience, those of you who've listened over the past year, I've delivered a lot of uh, monologues on you know, the Constitution, immigration, the difference between immigrants and citizens. We're not talking about throwing out citizens here. We're talking about shutting off immigration. That is a power a nation has. And also, by the way, did you catch the end of that statute? So the president could just unilaterally shut off immigration from any class of people, any country, or he can impose any restrictions he may deem appropriate. One of the things I've been pushing and and some of the Trumpet uh, transition team have rightfully pushed is this NSERS program, National Security Exit Entry Registration System, which short of cutting off immigration from you know Islamic countries, said, all right, if you come here on a student visa or so, you could come, but you have to check in, you have to register with an ICE office, and we have to see what you're doing. Um, and, and people are saying, well, that's, that's a Muslim registry. Uh, no, a Muslim registry would say U.S. citizens who are Muslim, you, know, you have to register. That's unconstitutional. But you could downright keep out anyone from the country you want, any class of people. So certainly you have the ability to say, all right, you could come, but under these circumstances, under this extra scrutiny. Absolutely constitutional. Not only is it constitutional, any other generation, including the last generation of Democrats, would have agreed to it before you know our people, our political elites have just gone insane. So this is something we need to fight to the death. Trump made the promise. He said he was going to do it. He campaigned unabashedly, campaigned even stronger, just downright banning Muslim immigration. So certainly um, shutting off refugees from several of these countries, that must be done on January 20th. We got to build up the momentum, hold them accountable. Second issue, Obamacare. Obamacare must be fully repealed immediately, and it can be fully repealed immediately. I have a piece on this I'll you know, put in the show notes. Don't have enough time to get into it fully. But I just want to quote for you one very disturbing comment. Lamar Alexander is the quarterback for this uh, issue in the Senate. He's the uh, chairman of the Senate Help Committee, Health, Education, Labor, and Pensions. And this guy supports big government intervention in, in, in health care. He always has... He does not want to repeal Obamacare. Notice now we're talking about replacing. So he said, quote, I look forward to working with Trump to find a responsible way to replace and then repeal Obamacare. So you know this mantra, repeal and replace. So now it's replace and repeal, which means they're not going to repeal it. What I'm warning you guys is they're going to repeal some of the subsidies. They're going to repeal the requirement to purchase insurance. They're going to repeal some of the taxes, but they are not going to repeal the insurance coverage mandates, the thousands of pages of regs that require insurance companies to only offer plans that are 
actuarially insolvent. And that is, right, the the, the subsidies, taxes, individual mandate, those are the funding mechanisms. That's not Obamacare. Those are the, that's the stuffing or the cranberry sauce. The coverage mandates, that's the turkey. That is Obamacare. But they don't want to repeal it. So this is something we have, we're going to have problems both from Trump and from the establishment Republicans in the Senate. They're going to tell you, well, you can't repeal it through budget reconciliation. Again, I refer you to this piece. I explain it procedurally. You don't sever each provision of Obamacare out. You could fully repeal Obamacare as a net budget savings, which it is. Obviously, it saves money through the budget reconciliation process, which allows you to do that. 51 votes. It gets around the Senate filibuster. Um, Republicans have the right as elected officials to interpret Senate rules the way they interpret it. And there's a lot of precedent for interpreting it this way. Again, I don't want to bore you with the details. If you want to see more of your policy buffs on this, check out the piece I have on how and why Obamacare must be fully repealed. But if we don't repeal it, if we just repeal this partial repeal, or if we wait until we have this, quote, replacement plan, I'm just telling you, it's not going to happen. And premiums are going to continue to go up and we'll get blamed for it. Because the messaging to the public will be, hey, you repealed Obamacare. Because the media is stupid. The media doesn't know what Obamacare is. They think Obamacare is uh, you know, the individual mandate or the subsidies. But it's not. It's the coverage mandates. And they've got to be repealed. Otherwise, we are in a boatload of trouble. And there's, and there's nothing we can do. I mean, until that's repealed, even an Article 5 convention, I mean, it, you know, it's, it's, it can't take care of that specific policy until, you know, once we get it back to the states, then I think we're in good shape. But, um, you know, and that's the thing. There is a lot of good free market ideas out there. Some of them are going to be tough to implement, whether it's Medicare and Medicaid, whether it's getting insurance back to what it originally was supposed to be, rolling back not just Obamacare, but some of the mandates that have made not just health insurance, but health care itself um, gratuitously costly for years. Um, There's a lot of good ideas. I hope in the coming weeks and months to be coming out with ideas at Conservative Review 2030, free market conservative ideas that are just common sense. But it's going to take time. And the notion that we're going to wait for a replacement plan, it's like saying someone burns down your house and man, you know, I'm, I'm not going to put out the fire until we have a restoration plan. What? You got to put out that fire. I, I the, the entire premise. Um, yeah, you know, healthcare had problems before Obamacare, precisely because of the very issues that Obamacare accentuates. The very government interventions that that were there even prior to Obamacare. It's not because of not enough government intervention that oh well. We can't re- repeal the Obamacare interventions unless we have our own heavy-handed Republican-Democrat-light interventions. No. Obamacare has to be repealed. The people want it repealed. There's a mandate for it. Um, look, there's no way – everyone understands there's no way to do this perfectly cleanly years after implementation when they take over 20 percent of our economy. But it's got to be done, and this is the only way to do it. This is the only way it's going to happen. The House comes in there January 3rd. They meet uh, for the 115th Congress about two weeks before the president is sworn in. They pass it through budget reconciliation, have it waiting for Trump, put on his desk the minute he comes back from the inauguration ball, and it is done. 
and you give about a six-month transition period for the coverage mandates, and that will allow enough time for insurance companies to, because they have to submit their 2018 plans. 2017 plans are already shot anyway. We're not going to save those. So the 2018 plans, they have to submit by the middle of the year their plans to the HHS for approval. So look, let them know that we are repealing the coverage mandates. Now, it won't happen right away. So again, anyone who has these pre-existing condition plans, and by the way, that whole issue is overblown, the number of people that are actually benefited from Obamacare based on that and weren't otherwise eligible for other programs. And and, and th- th- that's nonsense. And by the way, I just, you know, my, my, my mind is racing here trying to get everything in under 30 minutes here. But we spend a trillion dollars at a federal level on health care. Several hundred thousand, several hundred billion more on Medicaid, a state level, and then other just state programs. I'm sick of hearing this. We, a trillion, all pre-existing conditions. So, so then cut, then cut the other programs. You can't have it all. It doesn't make sense. We keep coming back for more. It's never enough. But we have problems. I mean, Tom Price, um, you know, like I said, he's an institutionalist, but he needs to be pressured into doing the right things. And by the way, to come full circle here. Tom Price, ironically, stands at the nexus of both these issues. Everyone knows that HHS, you know, as, as the secretary of HHS, you're the quarterback on Obamacare, on health care. But you know what else you control? Refugee resettlement. A lot of people think of immigration as the State Department, DHS, but and they're all involved in, you know, getting the refugees here. But the actual refugee resettlement is overseen by the Oh, the ORR, the Office of Refugee Resettlement, that's housed under HHS. So these are things we need to hear from Tom Price. Complete and immediate repeal of Obamacare and immediate suspension of refugee resettlement, at least from dangerous countries with a strong presence of, of terrorism, of radicalism. This is something that can be done immediately in the case of refugees through executive order, case of Obamacare through... 51 seat majority in the Senate and then the president signing it. It is the mandate. It is the promise. If nothing else, this is the hill to die on. This is this is what we must use to expend all our political capital in the short run. Forget about tax reform and some of these long term things. We could survive as a nation without doing that over the next few years. Um, but but things like this, we will not survive as an economy, as a society, our security if we don't tackle these two issues of Obamacare and refugee resettlement. Lots more swirling around. As always, check out Conservative Review for our just comprehensive coverage. I'm going to have more coverage on the judicial reform, on what's going on in the courts. Big case in the Supreme Court that might lead to judicial amnesty, overturning enforcement and detention of illegal aliens while they're being um, deported or in removal proceedings. I'll have an article on this tomorrow. Lots more as always. Make conservativereview.com your homepage, your place to go. Thanks for listening. Thanks for coming to Conservative Review. God bless. This has been another episode of The Conservative Conscience. Conservative Conscience.